you can join us here at 3025 South Westwood in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, and we welcome you to come and be a part. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, also, um, April 2nd is Palm Sunday, so we are fast approaching the Easter Sunday. Uh, so Palm Sunday is April 2nd. Easter Sunday is going to be April 9th. And then we also have Freshwater is going to be April 14th. So if you guys are interested in going to that, uh, that's going to be Friday, April 14th <coughs> at the uh, Historic Rogers Theater. That's going to be at 7 p.m. So if you're interested in going, we usually get together a lot of different people and we, uh, we have a great time of worship. Uh, we scheduled five of these this year instead of just four. We've done four the last two years. And uh, now uh, we're jumping in, just added another one. So we have five of those this year. We've already had one in, uh, uh, in February. And so this one's happening here. And then I believe the next one's in June. And then we continue on uh, throughout the rest of the time too. So super excited that we get to do that uh, again to enjoy some time of worship. So uh, we, I've kind of concluded the, uh, the series on the vine. We may jump back into a couple more things later on. Uh, after some time passes, but I wanted to do a, uh, a just a quick a quick sermon uh, right before we jump into the Easter festivities uh, of Palm Sunday and uh, and Easter Sunday. And this the title of this message is "Don't get caught up in the bull." <coughs> Don't get caught up in the bull. You'll understand why that is the title here in just a little bit. But the title is "Don't get caught up in the bull," and. Uh, and we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Uh, I've, I've really been, been reading a lot more uh, recently. I, I've just, I love the, the story of finding the Israelites as they, as they leave Egypt, as they, as they progress out of there and then move into the position that God was destining them to be able to go into the land of promise. And so we're going to be in, uh, in Exodus chapter 19 to start off. So we're going to start in verse 1, Exodus 19 verse 1. It says this, this is, this is, they had just gone to the place where they've gotten to, um, uh, to the mountain. And so we, they've already gone through the whole plagues and all that stuff, the Red Sea splitting and then walking across it, all that stuff. So verse one says this, on the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Re uh, Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're going to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. I love that. You are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We talked a couple weeks ago, uh, mentioned the the scene that happened when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem for the first time. That's out of Matthew, or 2 Samuel chapter 6. You also see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, <coughs> where they, you know, they had the whole thing, Uzzah struck dead, and then they went and they grabbed the, 
grab the poles and they walk through and you see that the king of all kings was carried in on the shoulders of who? Anybody remember? The Levites, the priests. <coughs> so the presence of God was carried in on the shoulders of the priests. You to be a, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of people who carry and host the presence of God and who tend to his presence in the place that he tabernacles. And a holy nation. So it's not just that they are that they are priests. There's lots of different societies in those days that they had their own priests. They had their own temples. They had their own places. Uh, my Old Testament professor from seminary, uh, he put together a, a, a really big book that's, uh, that goes through all of the different type of temple building and temple practices from Near Eastern religions. From historic Near Eastern religions. And you can go through and you can find all the different types of people that you read throughout the Bible. All the different people throughout history that had temples, that had priests, that had their own type of, um, <coughs> their own type of methods of worship. And every single one of them had some form of priest. So it wasn't just that they had a priest. It was that they were also to be holy nations. They were supposed to be a holy nation, a nation that was set apart. Again, he said, although the whole earth is mine, you will be a people that's set apart as holy, and you will be priests, a kingdom full of priests. So again, it's not just a holy nation either. It's a, a holy nation that doesn't just live to a standard, but they host the presence of God, and they tend to his presence as priests. So I love that he put those two together. He didn't just say, you guys have been called to be a holy nation to where you just do stuff that I tell you to do. It's that you also interact with my presence as priests. Because you can tell here, Moses wasn't a king, right? They didn't, the Israelites didn't have a king until much later in Saul. You see 1 Samuel. So they didn't have a king. So, so he didn't originate Israel to be under the authority of a human king. It was supposed to be in line and in tandem and in community with one another as a, as a holy nation full of priests who would wait upon the presence of God as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. Which is why it was, it's so impactful to me that David would strip himself of his kingly garments and walk into the city in his linens saying that I am the conquered king because the king of kings is entering into the city. Hosted on the presence of the priests right there. So we're going to continue here. So you're going to be uh, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So re really heavy words to just start off like, hello, what's up? My name is God. <laughs> I will be with you for the rest of eternity. So here we go. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. <clears throat> so verse 7, he says this. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. This is very important in this story. That, that sentence, their response, extremely important. So again, they said in verse 8, the people all responded together, we will do everything. Everybody say everything. everything. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. 
the Lord said to Moses. I can just imagine Moses like going up to the mountain, going back from the mountain, going back up to the mountain, going back down the mountain. He's uh, he must be in great shape. I walk up the stairs at my office and I'm in just breathing hard as I get to the very top of it. So I can't imagine Moses is just going up and down these things consistently. Good for him. Getting your steps in. That's wonderful. Um, So he said, so the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to go. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. So now let's jump. We're going to jump, jump ahead um, to Exodus chapter 24. This is important because I, we could go through, but there's, I'm not trying to read three different chapters going through. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He goes through all the law that they're supposed to also be paying attention to, how they're supposed to live with another in society, how they're supposed to treat one another, what happens when there's conflict. The Lord really lays out all those things. So if you're interested and you're, you want to freshen yourself back up on that um, afterwards, go ahead and check that out in Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22, and 23. So right here in Exodus 24, we're going to go um, start at verse 1. <coughs> he says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship as, at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Everything the Lord said we will do. So they said it before. Whenever Moses was just given the, you know, a couple of those instructions real quick. Hey, you guys are going to be a, a nation of priests. You guys are going to be a, 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 a blessed people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Like, this is who you guys are going to be. Awesome. He's like, just, just obey my covenant. Notice he said covenant there and, and not commandments at first. You obey my covenant. The relationship that's going to be drawn between the two of us. You're going to stay in line with that. <clears throat> and then here he says, he's, uh, he gave all the words and laws from Exodus 20 all the way through 23. <clears throat> gave them all these things. And then they said, yes, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Then Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded. I'm starting to see a trend. We will do everything the Lord has said. We obey. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis. Uh, lazuli, lazuli, excuse me, and bright blue as a sky, as bright blue as a sky. 
But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of, of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. There's a couple things that we miss whenever we look at this story. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but when you go through like a, like a Bible reading pro project throughout the year, you know, you have your specific days and specific passages. Sometimes you're like, I just got to make it through all the ones that are designated for today so I can make sure I'm not behind. Anybody ever guilty of that? Uh, who, anybody human in here <laughs> to do that? You're like, okay, I just got to hurry up. Got to get this chapter real quick, and I've got other things I got to Yeah, there's a little bit more time to be able to do this, so I got to hurry up and check that off. Maybe I can get the rest of it later on. Uh, it's easy to do that, especially when you're on a reading plan, and you're like, I have 365 days to get through all of these, all of these verses throughout the Bible, and I've got to hurry up and do this. And it's easy to go through certain passages, especially when you're in the Old Testament at different times where it, there's just a bunch of laws and a bunch of names and a bunch of things that you don't consistently really know too much about. You're like, I just got to get, where, where's the stuff where it talks about Jesus or, you know, maybe Elijah calling down fire from heaven? That's a good time. Let's, let's get to that point. And we miss the little subtleties that's, that's in Scripture when we don't take the time to pay attention to it. I'm going to back up just a little bit. In, uh, in chapter 24, where he says this in verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Then verse 4 says this. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Now remember, the previous chapters between 19 and 24 that we were reading, God told Moses a lot of stuff about the law, right? About everything that they were supposed to do and not to do. Got those things written down? Cool. And then God told him that he was going to give him the law written in God's finger. So I can imagine Moses was like, well, I don't need to compare notes. I'm just going to go up and get the, <laughs> get the thing from the Lord. That would be great. So I can imagine he went up and did that. The Israelites heard the word Moses wrote down the word, and they agreed many times, as we just saw in Scripture, right? Many times, everything you have said, we will do. We will obey. That will be us, obedient children of the Most High. They responded. So they heard the word. Moses wrote down the word. They responded to the word on numerous occasions. And what Moses did was he set up these pillars, 
tribes, 12 pillars of stone as a representation of each of the tribes of Israel and then sent those young men over there to sacrifice the bulls. Interestingly, he also calls all the elders and the leaders from Israel to go up and they, and they had a meal. They feasted, right? They said they ate and they drank. They saw God. They said his feet. They, they explained what his feet looked like. That's, that's wild. That's wild. And then the Lord called Moses to go up where he would have 40 days and 40 nights with God. However, what happens next, and I'm not going to go through and read a bunch of this, because um, I, I, w- I want to be very specific about how we, how we look at this and how this could be really taken out um, into, our, into our own perspective today. When Moses was up in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he left Aaron and the other leaders to deal with conflict that was going to come up in the midst of Moses' time being away. While that was happening, Moses, up on the mountain, spending time with the Lord, encountering some incredible things. They said it looked like fire was on the top of the mountain as the presence of God rested there. Just like fire was consuming, uh, the fire was in the bush, but it didn't consume the bush to the point of burning it to shreds. So we see representation of God's presence lighting up, just illuminating whatever it was that he was consuming. When Moses came down the mountain, his face shone. Right? Because he was in the presence of God. But here's the deal. Don't get caught up in the bull. Don't get caught up in the bull. The bulls were sacrificed at those altars as an offering to the Lord. The elders saw the presence of God. Everybody in the nation saw the presence of God as it rested on the mountain. However, whenever Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, they got impatient and they desired to worship something. So they created a bull. The thing that they used to worship God became the thing that they created as their affection of worship. I'm going to say that again. The thing that they used to worship God and to offer to God as a sacrifice, as an offering, that they offer to God in response to his desire to be in covenant relationship with the people, the thing that drew them together in covenant as well, became the thing that they worshiped instead of worshiping God. The first two commandments that God gave, don't worship any idols. Don't make any idol. Don't make any carven image, any graven image, anything that would, that would signify anything else that would be God-like because that is not me. And then don't worship anything that is not me. The first thing they did, the, the first thing they did was they made an idol and they worshiped it. <laughs> and it wasn't just any idol. It was an idol that they had, it was, it was, it was an idol fashioned after the thing that they used to worship God. To sacrifice to God, to offer to him. What are the things that we have in our lives that maybe we have originally used as a product of offering or thanksgiving? 
honoring the covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ. Who went to the cross. Didn't deserve to go to the cross, but went to the cross. Shed his blood, died. Horrific death. Horrific death. And three days later, raised from the grave. Victorious over sin, shame, guilt. All these things. How often do we use the thing that we can come together with? Whether if it's a gift, a talent, uh, a skill, whether if it's family, friends, uh, what, what, what are we placing to where it was a joy for us to bring it to the feet of Jesus that now we're enslaved to in bondage, worshiping that thing because we feel like that gives us significance. In, in the Egyptian uh, uh in their, in their own theology, in their own uh, study, in their own uh, uh, application of, of worship to gods, the bull was something that signified provision. Something that signified provision to the point to where when they also worshiped, they were familiar with, the, with, with what it identified as from, because they spent years and 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 years, and years, and years in Egypt. So they knew about their gods. They knew about the deities that they would, they would worship and they would fashion things after. Really interesting study. If you go through the ten plagues, um, uh, there, there are some scholars that believe that each and every one of those plagues were like God punching one of those deities in the face with what they would be able to provide for the Egyptians by destroying something that they worshipped and that they did things to so that they can receive provision, whether if it was the god of the Nile, god of the crop, god of every single thing that you could have they would sacrifice these specific deities. And it's as if God said, none of these deities can hold a candle to the weightiness of my presence and my power because he is God of gods. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so by the Israelites not just fashioning a, a calf to worship, they not only had a call back to what the Egyptians did whenever they worshiped their God of provision, but they also sought after worshiping the thing that they provided as an offering to the Lord at first. And the wild thing is that they had Aaron there. They had the other elders, all these other leaders that, that ate and drank in the presence of the Lord. They were able to see and encounter the presence of God, see and describe the, what his feet looked like. I mean, my goodness. They see as if fire is consuming the top of this mountain as the presence of God is in this thick cloud around there. They, they heard the thunder. They heard everything that happened before then. They even told, told Moses, don't permit us to go up because we are terrified of the voice. Let him just speak to you. But yet they decided to worship something that was much less, had less significance. How often do we do this in our own lives? How, how often is this, is this an easy scapegoat for us to just jump into? Because maybe we're not patient. We have the benefit of looking at Scripture and saying Moses was there for 40 days and 40 nights. We read that specifically right there, right? You guys remember that? That was at the very end, verse 18. Then Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and then stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And then we just continue to read into chapter 25 and keep going. It doesn't say that Moses turned around and told the Israelites, hey guys, I'll be gone just for 40 days and 40 nights. No big deal. No problem. Don't go crazy. I will return. Everything's going to be good. 
we have the benefit of seeing this in scripture, but they didn't have the benefit of knowing that. So Moses went up the mountain and they're like, dude, it's been 15 days. That mountain is full of fire and smoke. <laughs> we heard the thunderous voice of the Lord. Maybe, maybe he didn't make it. Maybe, maybe Moses, I don't know. I don't hear his voice. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Then 30 days pass by, and they're like, surely this dude is dead. <laughs> he cannot be alive. There's no way. Have you seen the mountain? Did you hear all these things? Did you sense the presence of God? I mean, he said, if anybody else just go, and we can't check on him, because God set a parameter around, said, if anybody crosses over and just touches the mountain, they're supposed to be stoned, or they're supposed to be shot with an arrow, not touched, because they are unclean. That's hardcore. So they couldn't go check on him. Just peek around a rock real quick. Moses, you good, bro? Okay, you just peek. Okay, just, just checking to make sure you're still available. All right, we'll be back. Okay, see you. 35 days, 36 days, 37 days, 38 days. At some point between day one and day 40, they got impatient with waiting on what the Lord was asking of them. They got impatient with waiting on what had been directed to them. And they made themselves something that would bring them comfort in the midst of their struggle. It's easy whenever we lose our, our trust in the Lord to make something of our own to bring us a false sense of comfort. Because was it that golden calf that got them out of Egypt? Was it the golden calf that, that brought those plagues upon the Egyptians and upon Pharaoh? No. Was it the golden calf that led them a cloud by day, a pillar by a fire by night? Was it a golden calf that split the Red Sea in half, allowing the entire nation of Israel to walk over on dry ground and then collapse on top of the Egyptians that were pursuing after them? No. Was it the golden calf that gave them the instructions for how they were supposed to live their lives with one another and in honoring God? No. But they made something that would bring them comfort. And it said that they, uh, whenever you continue to read on, it says that they feasted and they had a party. Dancing like a, having a festival when they made the golden calf. Even the leaders, the leaders participated in creating this, this calf. Or if they at least didn't participate, they at least gave approval for that to happen. It wasn't just one or two people, it was the, the nation participated. How easily we get impatient with the Lord's process and timing talked about it this morning in during worship when you get to the end of the rope when you get to the end of the place where you feel like i can no longer contribute anything else to this i have nothing else that i can that i can give in this moment i don't have any smart strategies i don't have anything else i i'm just it's just me now that's it that's this is what you get 
can't perform anymore, can't, uh, can't do anything else anymore. So then at what point do you continue trusting in the Lord? Because is your trust and your provision found in what you can provide with your own hands? That's why I love that story about Jeremy Riddle. He's like, I have had a number one song on Christian charts. I've traveled around as a, uh, as, as a popular singer for, for Christianity, done different conferences and conventions and stuff like that. But still, this is the end of a 30-minute set and maybe 40 minutes after I've gone through all the songs I knew. And I don't know what to do. It's in those moments whenever you can say, Lord, I'm going to actually stop and listen to what you're saying. And if you're not saying anything specifically to me right now, what was the last thing you told me? Are you done with that last thing that you instructed me to do? Or is that something I need to continue on and I'm just impatient with trying to see that the outcome is, is, is over here? But God, you know, I've been trying with this, with my spouse. I've just been, I've been, I've been trying to do better. You know, I've, I've been, I've been horrible for a little while. And, and but, but, but now I really tried for like six days. I've been trying real hard, but I'm not seeing anything come from this. It's like, well, there, there needs to be a seventh day and an eighth day and a ninth day and a tenth day and eleventh day. Just because we're impatient with the process and we would like to be immediately satisfied doesn't mean that that's the process that the Lord is putting on you. I was talking with a, with a friend of mine, and, and we were talking about, about processes of things coming to pass and, and things happening. And we talked about how time, time is used as, uh, as a word that people, that people grasp in the middle of their healing, and they say, well, time's a healer. And I kind of understand what they say, but really time isn't the healing agent. Let me say that again. Time is not the healing agent whenever it comes to you actually getting healing from something. Time is the, um, is, is the quantified period from A to B that it took for healing to occur. Does that make sense? So time, uh, time is not the thing that heals you. Are you processing and are you confronting the things that have happened to you in the midst of the time that you've decided to take or that you are taking or that you're progressing through? Because there's a lot of people, <laughs> there are a lot of people who are still bitter as bitterness can even be. As harsh as bitterness could be, they are still bitter after 50 years of encountering something with somebody. So time didn't heal them. Time passed, for sure, as time does with all of us. But it did not heal you. It did not heal them. They continued to hold and harbor the bitterness, and that continued to manifest more and more as it grew inside of us. Can we be patient in the midst of God's process through our lives, knowing that his timing is great, his will is perfect, and he is good. Can I trust him even though people let me down? Can I trust him and what he's requiring of me in the midst of all the things that are happening, even if it looks like chaos is still abounding? Remember we talked about in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Again, peacemaker, whenever, whenever you're looking at someone who goes in and who is a peacemaker full-time, a full-time peacemaker, 
which, which would be someone who negotiates with terrorists or stuff like that. Like, that's a great representation of a peacemaker. And I used that example last time, but I think it's really important for us to grasp that, is that they walk into chaotic circumstances, and they're supposed to facilitate peace, make sure that the hostages are freed and unharmed, and make sure the perpetrator, the person who is, who is holding these people hostages, these terrorists, are diffused and taken by those who are supposed to enact justice. The peacemaker is not the one that deals out the justice. He's the one that facilitates peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who can walk into those circumstances and do well. We have to be really, really intentional about trusting the Lord in the midst of everything that's going on. How many of us have been crippled by our past to the point to where we say, well, it's just going to take time. It's not going to take time. It's going to take intentionality in the midst of the time from start A to, to, to the end B point. We have to be intentional. Am I actually dealing with the things that cause me pain? Or am I just hoping that if I ignore it for a long enough time, I'm just going to forget about it? There are roots that go much, much, much deeper than the surface level material when it comes down to things. We can't just let time pass for us to be able to encounter and engage in healing. We have to allow the Lord to work intentionally as we co-labor with him. Because if really we want the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do inside of our hearts, we have to be intentional about dealing with the things that are in our hearts. Now, there are some points where we can, we can sit and we can collaborate with the Lord and you can receive immediate deliverance over something, and it's incredible. But also, we encounter people consistently from that point on. You don't just get raptured up into heaven and then, bam, you're good because I've been delivered of this one thing. You still deal with people and you have people that remind you of others who possibly have hurt you. You may walk into a situation that feels all too familiar to a specific pain. You may have another conversation with somebody else that they just use a word that another person used that caused you pain and hurt and heartache, and that triggers you to have all that pain come surfing, surfacing back up to the top. Have we dealt with the things that are going on in the midst of the time that it took for you to say, I'm healed, to the point to where you had when you were first wounded? We have to be intentional. The Israelites were very impatient. And possibly terrified of what happened to Moses to the point to where they decided to make something to bring them comfort. And as soon as they did that, they broke the first command, the first two commands that God had given them. There's a reason why those were the first two things that God gave the Israelites as far as commands is because much of everything that we deal with that contradicts the Lord and that goes against Scripture deals with the heart of idolatry. Everything. If you disobey, it's because you decided to obey another voice, making that voice more important and more valuable than the voice of the Lord. Idolatry. If you just do something that's just out of pure your desire, but it's at the detrimentation of somebody else, then you've made yourself an idol and you've put other people down below you. Now, there's a difference if there's an oppressor and you're trying to make a move to where it actually gets you away from 
being in oppression. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the, the situation. I'm talking about just something that brings, that's, that it essentially almost steals away from somebody else because you want to be a person that gets gain out of that. Any type of selfishness is idolatry. Pride is idolatry. All these things circle around the one piece of putting something above God and following after that voice or following after that example instead of the example set before you by Jesus Christ. I love, I love that. I th- I'm pretty sure it's Bill Johnson who says that Jesus is perfect theology. Michael Culliano says that too from Jesus, Jesus Image. Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to see what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven and what it's like to live out how we're supposed to act with one another, you look at the life of Jesus. See how he treated others. See how he cared for others. See how he was intentional with getting away and spending time with his father. It's all found in Jesus. It's crazy. These, these leaders and these elders and, and Moses, they got to encounter and see, see God and his presence and that. But we now have a full-bodied representation of what it's like to live a life that's completely surrendered and submitted to God by looking at Jesus. These people in the Old Testament, got they, they just had glimpses through various representations of, of what it's like to encounter the power of God. But, but we now have the wonderful and marvelous privilege of not only having the depiction of seeing who Jesus was, but he also gifted us with the Holy Spirit. So now we have him living inside of us. So it's not just reading literature about God. It's not just reading past testimonies. It's living out the testimony of Jesus inside of you. But are we taking representations of other things that we may have once used as an offering to the Lord? And are we worshiping at the feet of that thing, that skill, that idea, that person, Or are we worshiping time? The time that it took for Moses to go up the mountain and then come back down with the stone tablets of instruction. They worshiped at the feet of time, fearful that Moses was no longer going to come over. With the authority that God had in, in his blessed servant, having Moses come up so that he can deliver the things that he wanted them to have. They allowed the fear of time to consume them and drove them into idolatry. Are we worshiping time? Are we impatient with what we feel like the Lord has is, is promised us? Are we impatient with, with feeling like, God, I've just been obeying you and nothing is happening in my life that I feel you need to do? I don't feel the change. I don't see the change. I don't, and, and, you're, and you're fearful in the midst of that time that maybe, just maybe, God either forgot about you or maybe it's not as powerful as you thought. Or maybe you feel like, like his, his forgiveness didn't quite extend far enough to reach you. We say it all the time that we're a place of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. But truly, do you feel that forgiveness in your life? And sometimes when you don't feel it, you have to trust that it's there. Because you feel the weightiness of condemnation. Maybe the weightiness of guilt. Maybe the weightiness of shame. 
it's not bad to feel to feel conviction whenever something goes awry in your life. But it's holding on to that as the means that this is who you are now is a false identity. And then just saying, I just need to wait until maybe three months passes, maybe four months, maybe a year. And then I feel like I could get back in the saddle where I needed to go. Now you're trusting the element of time and you're not trusting in Jesus's ability to forgive you and to transform you and to move inside of your heart the way that he needs to so that you can be who you're called to be. For me, I, I choose to trust Jesus. I think Jesus is going to be the answer to much of the things that we're encountering. I said much, I mean all, all the things that we're encountering. He's the answer. Clarify that, sorry. He is the answer to all the things that we're encountering. But we have to put our trust in him. So would you guys stand with me this morning? Don't get caught up in the bull. Don't get caught up in the bull. The bull that's delivering all the different types of ideologies and thought processes. It could be a good shiny bull. It could be the back end of the bull. It could be all kinds of things that you're thinking about and you're going through and you're stepping in and you're walking through. Don't get caught up in the bull. Don't get caught up in it. The thing that you're supposed to be sacrificing at the altar of Jesus and saying, is this, and like, I mean, I mentioned the back end of the bull, but let's talk about that for a second, okay? The back end of the bull produces a whole bunch of just nastiness, and when you step in it, it's horrible. That part of the bull is also offered, put it out there, get, it, get rid of it. That's not the thing that you're supposed to be paying attention to. You're actually supposed to be giving that to God. Your worries, your complaints, your, your, your mess, all those things, you give it to God. But if you sit there and you stare at it and you just hope that it goes away, it won't go away. You have to deal with the bull and get rid of it. And you continue to give that to the Lord. All the best parts of the bull, don't, don't hold it back. Don't keep it for yourself. Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. you feel like maybe you have been someone who has trusted time more than you have trusted in the Savior. Because I feel like that resonated with a couple people in, in the room. If you feel like that's been you, then I just want you to put two hands up. Two hands up. Saying, Lord, I'm surrendering my reliance on time. I'm surrendering my reliance on my ability to dictate when and where you should move, how you should move, who you should move through. And I give this to you as a sacrifice, completely accepting your timing, accepting the process that we get to go through together and accepting that I need to also confront things in my own life that could even be preventing me from walking into what you've called me into. 
And so repeat after me. If you've got your hands up, repeat after me. Lord, I give you time. I surrender my timing. And I trust in you. I reject the lie that time is my provider. And I accept that you are all that I need. If you feel like you've even been someone who's put too much emphasis in your bull, that could be in things that you produce, things that you do. That could be in other things. Uh, you could put whatever kind of stipulation you want on it, but you've put your trust in something that you can produce on your own. Then I just want you to put two hands up real quick. This is a wonderful sign to say that I am walking in humility. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you walk in humility and you're able to say, yes, this is something I'm dealing with and I'm not going to allow the pressure of feeling like I'm being judged by other people as I put my hands up. If you're able to walk in that and say that, Lord, this is me and this is what I want as I humble myself to you and show that I want to be a part of your kingdom and not my own kingdom. And if you feel like you've put too much emphasis on your bull, you've gotten caught up in the bull, then keep those hands up and say, Lord, I give you this bull every end of it, every part of it, and I surrender it to you. Forgive me for looking at this thing as my provider, as my healer, and as my provision for everything you've promised me. I put my trust in you. Thank you for your sacrifice. You know, the beauty of, of what it signifies is that even as, even as Israel sacrificed those bulls in the tabernacle and in the temple, when they would bring those offerings, these things for the things that they'd been forgiven of, it's, it was only a, a, a short process that they would go through this and be able to, the high priest would be able to enter into the presence of God. It was for a short time. They'd have to continuously do this. So it was as if it was just a, for a short amount of time they could encounter the presence of God like that. That's why Moses also told the nation to consecrate themselves right before he, they were delivered all the things that God had asked them to. But the beautiful thing is that it's not what we can provide that gave us access to his presence. It was that God provided us with Jesus Christ as the sacrifice that completely eradicated sin and death so that now we can properly host the presence of God inside of us as he tabernacles with us, as he dwells with us. And so as we get rid of those bulls, we take up our cross as Jesus told us to and we follow after God knowing that it was Christ who gave us opportunity and access to have his presence with us at all times. So Jesus, we accept that we are not enough without you. We accept that we are so fickle at times to put our trust in other things and other people. And we desire to know you in greater capacities 
as we look to you for our understanding. Continue to convict us, Lord, of the times that we put too much emphasis on things and our abilities. Continue to bring us into places of humility so that we can walk as agents of your kingdom and not our own kingdom. Let us be a kingdom of priests as we facilitate and host your presence and walk in holiness. Let us not be seekers of movements or seekers of people, seekers of anything else other than seekers of your heart. And then knowing who you are, let us reach other people who have a misunderstanding of the grace that we have been allotted by sending Christ for us. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. I hope you guys are blessed this morning. I hope you guys walk away and go through and and walk out what we talk about, that it's not just another Sunday morning. Have a wonderful week. We'll see some of you guys on Wednesday and the rest of you guys on uh, on Sunday next week. Have a very